0: Entrepreneurs, if you want your employees to be respected, appreciated, fulfilled, and engaged, this is the episode for you. Today, Rich and I are gonna sit down with Mary Lou Martin, the President and CEO of Job Joy Group, and also the author of the book, Big Quit Survival Guide. Rich, great conversation. Can't wait to hear what you learned and loved about this one.
1: Wow, between the three R's and how to have a conversation with really getting to know our people, even if they've been long-term employees. And how, how do you start that? I thought that was excellent. And that people really want to have a voice and not just a job. We cover an awful lot in this episode for leaders.
0: Yeah, I was also reminded about one of the key leadership traits that I learned. We learned together back 25 years ago that it was kind of brought to the forefront of this conversation that I loved. At the end of this episode, there's also a survival kit for uh, our guest listeners. So here is Mary Lou Martin. Mary Lou, thanks for joining the Entrepreneurs United podcast. We can't wait to hear more about your book and what you're doing and how leaders can help their employees become more respected, appreciated, fulfilled, engaged. It's something we all need to hear more of. So thanks for joining us today. Can't wait to jump in.
2: Great. Thanks, John and Rich. It's a pleasure to be here and discuss the most exciting time I think we can ever be in the workplace.
0: Yeah, there's a lot of changes that need to come and I can't wait to actually share some of the thoughts I have around this topic because I've been thinking a lot about it. Uh, And I'd love to bounce some of those ideas off of you. But, you know, first off, before we get to the book that you wrote, that I think is a really important subject that we all need to be talking about, and what you currently do, walk us back through a little bit of your foundation, because, you know, the workplace has evolved and changed, employees have evolved and changed, leaders need to evolve and change. Where did this all come to be for you? And how did you
2: end up where you are today? Absolutely. You know, we've had probably 113 years of a standard of employee employer relationship, and that has literally been command and control. You know, you think about with the onset of the assembly line, Henry Ford, it was all about efficiency and gains and productivity, and we put supervisors in place to manage that, and it really was about getting product out the door. So, you know, so much of that has evolved, and it wasn't until, I mean, literally the huge paradigm shift we've seen since the pandemic and since all of a sudden you start to mix the volatile uh, impression life is very fragile. We all went through that. Just, you know, a couple of years ago, we looked at this taste of working from home. That wasn't so much the norm. That was sort of a very odd man out kind of exception, you know, to working. And so people really got used to that. And then people started to look at, hey, I want to f- find work that's going to fit into my life. So my whole premise with this book was to help leaders now understand this paradigm shift. Years and years and years ago, I worked on a lot of research around particularly the human factor. And it's funny because now that's just the upfront and most important point we're looking at right now in the workplace. It's all about psychology, human dynamics, where it meets leadership, which is just brand new for the mainstream. So my work in putting this book out was based in that research. I looked at a lot of the human factor, Maslow's hierarchy of needs. In my book, I have the mantra, people are people first. As long as we're employing people, we have got to decide to make a mindful give mindful attention to the fact we're dealing with human beings. So I wrote the book for that premise. And I think that's what's evolving so much right now in this workplace.
1: For 113 years, a command and control style, what happened 113 years ago? How are you able to pinpoint that to 113 versus 117 years?
2: Yeah, I looked at that when I looked at the formation of the assembly line with Henry Ford. And that was the paradigm shift, you know, when we were more of a rural society and it was more of a um, hunting, gathering, you know, type of survival. And then things became very polarized around big cities. And we had the uh, trains and the infrastructure and all of that being built that's when the assembly line first came into place. And so what happened was we displaced the craftsmanship, let's say of an individual person making X and with the forefront of the industrial revolution, we thought, okay, we can put 20 people together. And instead of every one of those 20 people producing X, one of those persons is just going to produce part of X. I think of, and I use in my book as an example of this, remember the, um, insa- the, um, uh, TV show, I love Lucy. And sure. she has the assembly line with the candy and it's coming yep. down. The assembly and, line. Her
1: and she can't stuff her mouth with enough candy.
2: Exactly. And what does the supervisor do? Beat it up. <laughs> and you know, it was almost as if you get rewarded by doing great work with more work or faster work. And those that could keep up got rewarded. Those that couldn't got fired. And we worked like that for so many years. Even the validation of how our folks worked. I keep thinking this is not our grandfather's workplace anymore. I know my dad worked for a single company. 45 years, retired. It was all about I don't care if I love this job or not. I have a commitment to this employer, which was the case back then. There was a two way loyalty. That's all gone. And now it's more about, hey, you know, what are you going to do for me? And this is what I'm going to do for you. It's become a very transactional relationship with employee, employer, more to the side of the employee lately. We'll talk about is that changing a bit as we look at, particularly in the tech sector, um, we're looking at potential layoffs, you know, and balancing of a lot of overhiring. But that's what's shifted. And now it's all about, you know, lifestyle. And it's about I want work to fit into my life, not I'm going to fit into a job. And that's what still is permeating throughout the the workplace. It's not gone away. We all thought, come Labor Day, it's all back to normal. We're all going back to the office. We're all going to be, okay, not. We've got hybrids. We've got in-office. We've got remote. We've got middle managers right now running around trying to figure how to do all of this, and it's staying around.
1: You would use command and control, 113-year-old model, What is the model that is counter to command and control that you recommend?
2: Number one, determine that we're working with a human being now, and I cannot work, I cannot treat this human being as a cog in my wheel of production. So, what has surfaced, which was suppressed for those many, many years for all those reasons we talked about, now that human factor, is front and forward and I'm gonna look at those basic human needs and here's the one that hit us the hardest we have a need for physiological care we get that that's food water clothing you know we have to be protected but here's where we got hit really hard with number two and that's safety what we're talking about now in the workplace people are commanding emotional safety psychological safety This has been a time unprecedented about employee wellness, about mental health. This has all surfaced. And again, thank you, Pandemic, for bringing to light this whole concern around this human dynamic. So to your question, those companies that are getting the human factor and are training their leaders... To lead, for example, with empathy, and I want to just sidebar on that a bit because there's a lot of noise right now in what leaders are struggling with. They're they're told they're supposed to be empathetic. We get that. People are people. Okay, I'm kind of warming up to that. I've got to be that. But how do I be empathetic and still get business done? And I have a simple equation that's pretty tactical tactical to follow. Number one, it just goes like this. Empathy minus accountability equals enabling. And the last thing we want to do as a leader is to enable or coddle or make differentiations for excuses for an employee and not hold this employee accountable. We can be very empathetic, but we've got to hold people accountable. And that's just a little sidebar that leaders are struggling with right now. Uh, How far do I go (laughs) being empathetic? So, yeah.
1: So just to validate, uh, you would say command and control, 113 years old. And what you want to move to is acknowledging the human factor is kind of the coin phrase of human factor, correct?
2: Exactly right. And think about it it. this way. You can take the job out of the human being, but you can't take the human being out of the job unless you're hiring a robot. So we either cater to that theory or we don't. The problem is the ones that don't aren't going to make it. <laughs> in working with the type of top performer that they're going to want to keep today. So we've got to unveil that human being piece.
1: I want to dig in on this uh, equation that you just gave empathy minus accountability equals enabling. Is that a binary equation just to say empathy without accountability is enabling, or is that a dynamic equation? In other words, If you have a level uh, seven empathy and a level nine accountability, that equals a plus two. Like, is there any, uh, is there, is it a dynamic equation or a static equation?
2: That's a great question. It's a dynamic equation. And the reason for that is we're dealing with dynamic human beings So let's, for example, empathy and uh, accountability can have different variants depending on the person I'm speaking with. Let me give you a good example. Let's talk about respect you know mixed into that so much of you know respecting someone's self esteem i can be um, i can demonstrate empathy by listening to you by mirroring your body language by confirming what i'm hearing you say it doesn't mean i agree and i think leaders sometimes hesitate hearing or saying back to an employee so what i hear you saying is you're not able to be at work on time because of x Okay, that isn't agreeing with this person, but at least I'm giving this person an empathetic approach to I understand. Now, respect carries a different weight to your question. It can be very dynamic. For example... I might say to you, you know, as part of the team, it's important that we're demonstrating respectful behavior, and I want to make sure I'm doing that as your leader. Now, apart from being civil, we're not talking about, we're not going to cuss each other out and bully each other. I'm I'm not talking that kind of respect, but I'm talking about day-to-day behaviors as we interact. How could I best demonstrate respect to you? And as I speak to every employee, I'm going to get a different response. And that's where this dynamic piece comes in in dealing with human beings. For example, someone might say to me, well, Mary Lou, you know, I'm kind of new to the industry here. Uh, I want to get my feet wet in this job. The best thing you could do to demonstrate empathy and respect to me, could I just have five minutes every morning of your time just to know you're there, just to check in if I have a question, I want to make sure I'm on the right track. That would show me so much respect and a heartfelt approach to helping me succeed. I would love that. Now, here's the danger. I walk away as a leader thinking, okay, that's how you demonstrate empathy and respect. You show up in someone's face every five minutes. (laughs) And if I don't ask that individual that question, I'm going to misalign my good intentions as a leader. Another person might say, hey, Mary Lou, you know what? My biggest fear in terms of respect, is being micromanaged. Therefore, could you just give me my marching orders? What do we need to do here? I can follow through. I'll meet you with the one-on-ones, but apart from that, let me fly. So do you see the dynamics that are so powerful working with people and leaders? I want them to start embracing that there is no static, There is no on or off, and there is a way to work through that process, human being to human being.
1: So I think I'm catching on, but I want to throw you out something in my mind for you to either correct or confirm. Uh, You know, I just had a direct report of mine who I had a conversation with this week who said, hey, it wasn't my understanding when I got hired that I would have to go into the office. Uh, As frequently as what's being asked, and that wasn't what I understood to be true. I've got uh, concern with that, Mm -hmm. and the back to office policy I am not in control of, but I am this person's direct supervisor, right? So, what I did try to do, and I even told them, I'm trying to balance empathy with um, you know just the facts at hand on what needs to happen. I understand that that wasn't your expectation. I understand that that expectation wasn't my expectation. Uh, It wasn't that clear at that time. Today, it's really clear. So in that example, and there's more to it, but I don't want to go too deep down that example. I was trying to balance having empathy towards the experience and the change management that was impacting this person uh, and how it may impact their home life and how their expectations and all of that with the pure fact that things have changed uh, and things need to change for you too. Now, our back to the office policy is very hybrid favored. Um, So it's not a complete switch around. So if I had an empathy of a nine and an accountability of a seven, I want to end up at a positive number on enabling because that's mm-hmm. positive enabling. But in this example, if I had an empathy of like a one and I was like, yeah, too bad, things changed, not in my control, that's what needs to happen. Let's say I have an, an empathy of a one and accountability of a nine. I have a negative number on enabling, and that's not what I want. I don't want a negative number. Am I tracking with how I can use this functionally? in situations like the example I just gave?
2: Yes, and I'm going to take us one step a little bit higher when I talk about what we're trying to balance. You are so right on the money right now in terms of what the bigger picture is that people want. Let's come back to that example and let me lay the foundation, if I may. Yeah, please. There are three things Every human being is going to balance when they take or look, so it can happen in the hiring process or in the recruiting process, or it happens even after I've taken the job. There are I call them the three R's. The very first thing that a person starts to consider when they take on this new role, and we're going to talk about that example of, oh, what do you mean I've got to be in the office now? So we're dealing with so much fallout that I want to show how you can put things in place proactively to minimize this fallout that we're discussing. The first R that we look at when we take on a position are the requirements. What do you want me to do? You know, if I take this job, what will I need to do to be successful at this job? Now, there's two types of requirements. There's direct. We can get those from the job description. You know, if I'm a sales rep, it's very distinctive what I'm going to be doing to be an effective sales rep. If I'm a customer service rep, if I'm a food service person, you know, that job description is very succinct. It's very basic. All right. We call those direct. Now, to your point. There's indirect requirements as well and these start to get into that human dynamic. So for example, all of a sudden or even if I knew going in, I've got to make an hour commute to the office three days a week. That's a requirement to be at this job. Now, if that morphs or changes, that's why it's important to constantly have these leveling conversation or this 3R conversation, as I describe it in the book. I need to know where you're at because even a requirement, someone's going to interpret it differently. For some, it's a requirement. For others, it's a reward. Case in point, that hour commute. Some people might go, oh no way. I am not getting in a car and sitting there for an hour in traffic.
1: Well, get- people say I can't wait to get in the car to listen to the Entrepreneurs United podcast. I was just that gives me say time.
2: That. Yes. Yes. yes, that's a reward for me. Are you kidding <laughs> me? I can listen to a whole podcast and not be interrupted. Do you see already? We've got we've got to find out. So that's that first R those requirements. Okay, now think of that as on a teeter-totter scale. You know, we're going to put that bucket of requirements on that one side. Now, the second R hits about that job. These are the rewards. These are the tangibles. What am I going to get for meeting these requirements that I can put in my pocket? Example, paycheck. Example, benefit package. Maybe a 401k, maybe there's stock options if you're in a big corporation, a company car. Maybe I'll get my student loan paid off. Maybe I'll get a certification because, you know, whatever those things are, I'm going to make this a transaction right now. So here we've got those two R's, right? I got this set of requirements. I've got these rewards. So far, hey, if they balance, life's pretty good, right? But we can't stop there because we're human beings. And here comes the third R. And it's the most important one we can contend with in today's workplace. It's the respect. To what degree do I feel valued here? Do I feel appreciated? Do I have autonomy? Do I show up and have a purpose That's the big rally cry for so many employees today. Am I making a difference? Do I have a sense of belonging here? Self-esteem? Hello, Maslow's hierarchy of needs. There they are. Now, if you've got an employee who thinks that the respect is equal to the rewards, to the requirements, I promise you, you're never going to lose them. (laughs) They've got the perfect combination. And then you start to see the variations. Let's go to the example you just talked about. All of a sudden now, unbeknownst to me, I have to make this hour commute. End of the office, four days a week. And that commute on my scale is not a reward. That's a requirement. Or all these other requirements start to go higher and higher and higher. And we're seeing that today with even top performers. Oh, just one more thing. Oh, by the way, or could you, you know, you're so good at that. And we misuse top performers because they are. And then all of a sudden they leave. And we don't know why. Well, we just bombarded their requirement bucket. And we didn't keep up with the rewards or the respect. Now, you've got people that'll stay at a job with a heavy reward bucket but the respect could be very low typically what you'll what you'll hear i don't like this job i can't wait to get out of this job but you know what where am i going to go where am i going to go and make this kind of money they don't treat me well i get stomach upsets when i you know think about monday morning i don't even want to go into the job but i'll but i'll stay okay are they engaged no And then you've got the small startups. What about all of our listeners and people that I work with every day? They're small business people. You know, they're entrepreneurs. They're not going to have big, deep pockets to balance this sometimes, you know, reward bucket. So what I've got to do on that is make sure I'm compensating for the respect. And you know, it's interesting what we're seeing changing here we see as a result of about you know the last 2 years employees now are willing to take far fewer rewards if the respect is off the chart they'll say hey i'll walk away from the hustle culture i i don't need x dollars a year my health is it's not worth it i will do something else and be willing to make less money and be happier in a job that's more fulfilling. So I hope that answers the question as we go back to really looking at these three Rs, that's the magic code in in terms of dealing with every single person. And that's the key. We can't, little, problem, oh yeah, go ahead. I was gonna
0: say, I love it. And I love the the, the visual you gave us too, which is the the balance, right? The scale where you have the requirements on one side and you have two R's on the other side, which is the rewards and the respect. And it has to balance. And if employees are not happy in your organization, chances are it's off kilter. The requirements are too heavy uh, or, you know, something's off and you got to figure that out. And there's maybe three relative examples that I can think about too, um, you know, regarding these R's that kind of connect with me a little bit. You know, one is, you know, v- very, very clear when someone starts with your organization, what is it? What are the requirements indirect? I mean, I, I literally had an interview recently where the example we gave happened. This person has an hour and a half commute to the office and I challenge them probably more on that requirement than the requirements of the job, because when they're interviewing, it's like, yeah, yeah it's no problem. Yeah, I like driving. Yeah, it's no problem. Yeah. But then six months in <laughs> when the other requirements are heavy, right? They're like, ah, I don't yeah. know. It's too much. I'm going to quit. It's like, whoa, wait a minute. We, we covered that. Uh, so, you know, you have a responsibility as an employer to really look through those indirect requirements and be All very, right. very clear on the requirements. And we had a podcast guest, Jeff Cohen, who wrote a book, Count Onable, which is what can we count on you to perform here? And and, and are you agreeing to be count onable for these items? Right. So I, I really that really connected with me um, on, on. I'm going to jump rewards for a second. I want to come back to that on the respect one. You really hit. Uh, you know, something in my mind when you were talking a little bit earlier about, you know, employee employee A wants you to talk to them every morning for five minutes, but employee B just wants, you know, this. And way too many entrepreneurs have never been trained uh, mm-hmm. in situational leadership. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. Rich, just note the file, we need to have an episode all in of itself on situational leadership. Absolutely. It's something that probably was... um one of the most impactful leadership training I've ever had in my career that quite honestly, I kind of forgot about until this conversation, yeah. uh, you know, Thank where you, they, fit? <laughs>
2: yeah. yeah,
0: where they fit on this competency yeah. versus commitment quadrant and how are you going to manage them? I think is one of the biggest failures leaders have today, which unintentionally leads to a lack of respect.
2: There you go. And then You have a high performer
0: that you're trying to micromanage. They're like, this sucks. This person doesn't respect me. But then you have a low performer that wants you to micromanage them and help them get out of their trouble. And they're like, oh, these are not helping me. So I think way too many managers, leaders treat everybody the same way because they think that's the way it's supposed to be. And that leads to a a drop in respect. So that's that piece I want to maybe just dive into for a few minutes. And the last piece, and then I want to hear your thoughts on these, on the rewards piece. I, I have a, a thought that there's one thing between the rewards you're making by working at the company, but then I think that we're also heading into a new area today where uh, if your employees are really working for a paycheck to pay for their food and living, and they're not creating their own balance sheet for their own families in a very strong way, you may not be doing your job as a leader and employer Because everybody right now is looking at themselves as an independent contractor, to sort of speak. They have a balance sheet, they have a family, they have an entity called their family, and they're trying to build something of significance. Um, And so I'm a big believer in employees having an ownership stake in the business, feeling like they're more entrepreneurs than employees, and all these employee words, like employee, job, HR department, I think they're getting antiquated in, in today's yeah, world. And that's another area of rewards that I think entrepreneurs really need to be thinking about. So yes,
2: I I think you're spot hours. on, John. You're absolutely spot on. Yes.
0: So let, let me hit that last piece. Um, I understand that that people are looking to be uh, with organizations where they have a sense of purpose, the core values align, that they have a leader that respects them. I get all that piece. And I think everybody listening to this gets it, Where they know how to execute it or not, it's a different story, but they get that. On the rewards piece, um, what is your feeling on that employee mentality versus entrepreneur mentality and giving people more of a stake in what they're doing Uh, Are you seeing that evolve with entrepreneurs you're talking to and and what are you seeing out there?
2: Yes. Great question. And the best answer I can say, it's up to the leader to have that very discussion with every single individual because it can be different. Again, to your point, so well taken. We tend to treat people the way we want to be treated. That's Mm -hmm. the golden rule. I've upgraded that to the platinum rule, doing to others as they need to have done by you (laughs) and have that conversation. So, for example, you know, what's 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 quality recognition or a reward to one may be very different from another. And I think even offering and here's where leaders are going to most succeed, offering the choices It's all about that flexibility. I might have an employee through our conversation and I could say, gee, you know, there's stake in this game for you. And you have a desire to become your own company owner someday. My job here would be to grow you into that position. That's something viable for you. So we're going to do that by these three things. How does that feel for you? It might be a stake in the business. Another employee might say, Mary Lou, I have no desire to be anything greater than answering the phones and being the best director of first impressions that I can to our customers. That's all I want. And if I could switch that out for a higher starting wage because I need that security, trading off equity in the business because that's that doesn't interest me right now, Okay. So I think the beauty of an entrepreneur, we can also be perhaps more flexible. I think corporations are slower in figuring all that out for equity purposes and fairness and all of that. But it really depends on that human being. And in the book, to your point earlier, leaders are not trained on how to do this. And I'm a very... I guess I should say I'm I'm very pragmatic when it comes to leadership. You know, don't just give me this pie in the sky consulting uh, work that says, you know, Mary Lou, to build a great team, you've got to start with authenticated trust and build a foundation. And what does that even mean? I don't know how to do that. I'm I'm a leader in the, you know, <laughs> and so I will show you even in the book how to have the conversations, what are the questions to ask, here's the checklist. Don't just tell me, make sure your person has a great first day on the job. Okay, I bought them pizza. Does that count? What do I do? (laughs) And it's got the checklist. Here's what you should do if they're remote or if they're in the office. So it depends. I, you know, I, I hate that as just an answer.
0: Yeah, but I love it. I'll tell you why. Um, yeah, <laughs> I just sat here for a few minutes and told you guys that the most impactful training I ever had in my life was learning about situational leadership. <laughs> well, why shouldn't rewards be situational and requirements be situational and everything be situational? Because it depends. Because the human factor is the most important factor. And you may you may think getting pizza for the first day is a great, fantastic, but you have somebody who doesn't like pizza and they you know all they eat is X. Right. Respect them in that moment. You didn't even ask right. them if they wanted pizza.
2: You wrote uh, my whole book in one paragraph. Exactly. Yeah, right. yeah. No,
0: it's really <laughs> connecting with me the situational component. So let me let me kind of you know take a tool out of Rich's toolbox. He likes to ask our guests. Okay, I'm listening. I'm you know the I'm I'm, I'm keying into what you're talking about now. Like you got to be situational in all these areas because it does depend. There's a massive human factor, and maybe you let us with there's, you know, there's questions in their book, but what do I do today? So I'm an entrepreneur today. Maybe I haven't been focused on these three R's. Uh, maybe I need to start from scratch, but I have 20, 30, 50 employees. And i what do I do? Where, where do I start with it? What's actionable for me to take from this conversation and say, okay, I got some work to do. Here's step one, two, three of what I'm going to start doing based on your book or feedback.
2: Right. Great question. Start here. Number one, make a list of the employees that are currently responsible for reporting to you. Number two, next to each employee's name, in whatever way you want, score from one to five, or just write low, high, medium, it doesn't matter. To what degree are you effectively connecting with each one of these people? And by connecting, I mean, you know this person's aspirations you know what rewards this person would define. Is it a bag of Skittles or is it a $5 Starbucks coupon? You know, do you even know? What are all the human elements that you can know? And if you create kind of a grid and you see that 90% of that grid is blank, oh, I'm fine with that because you just created your own homework. Now you know where to go to fill in this grid. So I want you to kind of think of it as playing people bingo. (laughs) Can you put every person in one of these squares and know at least two or three things about them? And if you just start there, that will get you used to connecting with people on the people level, the human factor. And that's hard for some people, especially entrepreneurs. You know, we're running businesses we, we forget about that, the people that are there to help us do that. But start with that. You can't manage what you don't know. So start there. Just take inventory. Step one. So how does that work? I'm trying to
1: picture the conversation with entrepreneurs who have had employees who are tenured at all. Here's how it doesn't work. Um, so, uh, Mary Lou, I know, uh, you've been working for the company for, uh, eight years now and, you know, it occurred to me, I never decided to ask you, uh, what, what's <laughs> what your you favorite alcohol <laughs> that you'd love to get as a gift? Uh, you know, I've never asked you, uh, about your family right. and I guess I just realized, uh, that I never have. So, uh, how many kids you got?
2: Yeah. We just fill out have this questionnaire. <laughs> like, <laughs> Yeah, so like, okay. like, did, let's, ro- let's is, role play. <laughs> yeah, let's role like, play, like, yes. I get it if we're
1: starting up yeah. with someone and you're taking notes yeah. and you're asking questions and you can develop the new you who is very yeah. into the human factor. But the reality is we have entrepreneurs who have existing people with existing yeah. relationships and constructs and expectations of behavior. And yeah. how would an entrepreneur introduce this new So I knew me. (laughs) I'm going to start doing this human factor thing. Yeah, I heard that. I hope you don't think it's weird.
2: (laughs) It goes something like this, Rich. You know, I just want to take a minute. If I've not said it enough, I want to make sure I'm saying it loud and clear right now. You've been with me eight years. And I just need you to know. To what depth? I appreciate that. You've been with me when we started or when we hit the mainstream. You, More importantly, you've been with me when we've all kind of encountered what the heck has just happened, you know, these last two years. You've stuck it out and you've been here. The most important thing going forward, Rich, is that we keep all the best of what we've got going here. We ensure that that continues. And I want to just kind of go back to basics, you know, what what are you getting out of this position that's the most meaningful to you? And what is it I can be doing differently that would support the great stuff you're getting out of this position? And what do I need to be doing differently? You know, do, do we spend enough time just getting to know each other? Do we know each other well enough? You know, where is that balance for you? So I'm getting to that conversation, but it's not so static, you know, which I love because that's real world. That's exactly the kind of conversation I would kind of come into the back door with that. Rich, what do you think's been making us work so well together? What am I doing (laughs) that I can keep doing more of? And uh, hey, I want you to be around for the next 18 years. What does that look like for you? You know, are we, are we growing you in the direction you want to go? So, so it's that kind of work.
1: I heard a couple of things. It was really appreciation. And mm-hmm. then it was retention. Mm-hmm. And then it was back to basics. And I love the first two questions you asked. Not that I didn't love all of them, but the first two struck me as, uh, what are you getting out of the position? And what can I change or do to support you in your role better? So I think that's excellent. And just wanted to recap that, you know, 113 years ago. uh, And I know I've overused that so far in the conversation, (laughs) but I think it's awesome that you actually have like the number of years, 113 years ago, I went to command and control style, mostly on assembly line. You said, because Henry Ford totally makes sense. And my assumption is that it was done that way because the human factor uh, creates inefficiencies. Mm -hmm. And it was very efficient to say, here's what you do. You pick up piece A, and you move it from point one to point two, and you do that as fast as you can. And yes, the reward is that you get to do it more, and you stick around, and you're tenured, and you have a job, and we'll give you some cost of living raises as they come about. So, start moving piece A from position one to position two. If you have creative ideas on how to be able to do that, go back to what I just said. Move piece A to position one to position two. That's it. The introduction of the human factor introduces all of these inefficiencies of emotion and opinions and all this stuff. Like Where does this balance that it's like, hey, it's a little too much of asking everybody their opinion on every topic, and we're trying to get consensus on everything, and we just can't make a decision because not everybody agrees, but we want to respect people. Where's this balance of the human factor, but not being incredibly inefficient lie? Yes.
2: Yes. I think number one, if I may go back to the assembly line and and pull out some fascinating research that was done at the time, to your point, yes, that person's job was to hook on that car assembly line was to hook widget A and widget B together. They did that 10 hours a day, often with no breaks or lunch. That was their job. When Henry Ford looked at the productivity over time, he started to notice After about two to three years of this model, productivity was declining. Even though people were doing it faster and they were doing it in, you know, in greater volume, the quality and the productivity was seriously declining. So we can thank Henry Ford for introducing this human factor. And what he did was he realized, enter the human factor. These are human beings. And so what he brought in was things like posters of happy customers who were so grateful that they were able to have this beautiful car. He brought in um, the opportunity for them to, uh, at discount, buying their own car. So they got to see this sense of purpose of the higher calling of what I'm doing. Productivity skyrocketed. So there's value to your point, in entertaining the human factor. However, that's where the accountability has to come in as the leader. I can say, hey, I'm open to everybody's input. We're going to reach a consensus, not necessarily an agreement, because you're right, we're never going to all agree on everything, but can we come to a consensus? And if I just give my people a chance for a voice, and that's the piece that was missing, Rich, People for these 113 years, they had a job, but they didn't have a voice. And people just want to be heard. So I can make it very clear. I want to hear. You have a voice express your opinion we'll take it under advisement we'll work collaboratively together the best leaders right now are tapping into the people who are actually running the business and doing the job and they're using that intelligence if you will you know to work together as a team so yes you can get into analysis paralysis and that's where the leader has to say look we're going to you know an hour, we're going to discuss this and we're going to come out with two decisions and let everybody say what you need and we're going to move forward. You can even instill something I call a team agreement. Have the team decide, are we going to start meetings on time? Well, if that's the case and that's going to be in your team charter, you better not show up late as the leader because people are only going to respect you to the point that they see you model what you're asking them to do. So, but put them all together in a room and say, what are the five things we want to, you know, demonstrate here as a team? I actually have an activity and a challenge for the listeners, because if you talk about this environment today, there's a lot of discussion around this world, this word culture. I don't know what that means. I mean, you know, really, we can define that all day long. Culture is really the look and the feel you get when you walk into a team environment. You can define it. And it's the leader that dictates that culture. Culture is going to happen. It's going to be like weeds in a garden. You cannot not have a culture. Excuse the double negative. Culture is going to be a byproduct. And here's the challenge to help all leaders define what this culture means and get it to the point where the team's going to help define and own it. You ask the team, and this is in the book, actually, and I'm just giving it as a challenge to, to use as an activity. Think of the person that you want to most highly respect in that team. So if you're in a company could be the if you're not the owner of the company it could be the owner of the company it could be the president it could be maybe your most important customer it doesn't matter but who is the person you want to most highly think of this of this of this person thinking highly of this team okay got that person in mind now ask the team if that person were to come and visit our business for a day. What three words would you want that person to walk away with as the impression of spending time with that team? What are those three words? Have everybody write them down independently on a three by five card or on a Slack board, whatever. If you're a combination remote or hybrid, have everybody have a voice. Put down those three words. Now, you synthesize everyone's input, chances are, you're going to come up with some of the very same words. It might be hardworking, it might be fun, it might be productive, whatever they are. But we've got those three words. The third part to this is, you ask the team, okay, team, what are we going to do on our daily interaction with our customers? our daily interaction and behaviors with each other, what are the actual things we can tangibly do that will drive those three words? And that's how you create a collaborative, focused culture. And everything we're doing as a team better be promoting those three words or it doesn't fit. And people love that they're shaping this culture and they're owning it. So that's a tangible example to drive that forward.
0: Yeah, thanks. Okay, for I love that. that. And you know, every company has values, right? So whether they're just posters on the wall or they're being, you know, displayed by everybody on a daily basis, you know, that's that's one one different conversation. But what we're talking about here is as your team, whether it be the whole company, because you have a small team of five or six people, or whether it be you know, a division within a larger organization for that group to get together. And if I understand it correctly, envision the person you want to respect your team the most. If they were to come to you and visit you, what are the three words you'd want them to walk away saying about your team? Do a brainstorm Mm -hmm. exercise around that. Mm -hmm. Once you've synthesized that down to what these three words are that you guys would want the most respected person, you know, to think about your team. Then let's define the actions that we're going to hold each other accountable to day in and day out so that when that person does come, these are the three words they'll say about us.
2: Perfect. And you can formulate that in a team agreement. You can even have some image fun with that. Take those three words and Google them. Click on images and now you've got something visual that people could rally around and you could put that on your team agenda. You put that on your email signature. It becomes this rally cry people are polarized around.
0: Yeah. And, and when you say, look, the, the, that leader or that team, they just defined their culture. Now they just need to live by it. I mean, that's a very are. simple way to do it because there are cultures within cultures, as we know, right? There's a company oh, yeah. culture then there's team culture and there's a lot of cultures within cultures that exist out there. Um, Big Quit Survival Guide is your book. Yes. Um, And I'm sure people can go and and get that book and learn a lot more about what we talked about here today. How can our guests, if they want to get more of the Joy Group or, or, or Job Joy Group or yourself, mm-hmm. uh, where else can I get more information?
2: Yes, I am most active on LinkedIn. I post there regularly. I have a blog. I have all kinds of free resources. You can click on, in fact, I'm going to give a gift to the listeners as well. Right. If you click on the tab, uh, survival kit, I have and enter the word survival, I have put together a complete list of all the tools, the checklists, everything that I was describing that's in each of the chapters. It's all in one place. It can be downloaded and printed in an eight and a half by 11 format. So you can go in and just uh, go access all of those tools right there. Awesome, and that's
0: bigquitsurvivalguide.com. So bigquitsurvivalguide.com. Yes all together in one word.com on the site, there's download survival kit. There's a passcode you can enter, which is survival. And I'm going to do this right now (laughs) (laughs) because I want this stuff. Yes. In Uh, fact, you know,
2: as you're, as you're repeating that back to me, I have to make sure it's either survival or survive.
0: <laughs> uh, survival so we, is it. I just got okay, in. I'm downloading you. this stuff. I mean, these, <laughs> these types of free tools and resources are so yeah. valuable.
2: Yeah. Entrepreneurs listening to these
0: conversations and just, you know, you, hey, you may not use all of it. But, you know, read through it, look at what's there, because to answer Rich's question earlier, how do you do this? You sit down with an employee and ask them what their favorite ice cream is after eight years. Like, you know, how do you how do you do this using guides like the survival guide or even what you gave us, like the people bingo approach of, hey, put that sheet together. They're all actionable components. Yes. really appreciate you bringing
2: those with you today. It was a great conversation and can't wait to learn more absolutely truly my pleasure my my passion is we've got to help these people you know they're struggling leaders in every every aspect today we're trying to figure it out and i wanted to take as much noise out of the system and make it as streamlined as possible so it's truly a pleasure to give that opportunity to leaders today to do that well
1: and i'd like to say thanks for your generosity i just went on the website myself And uh, for our listeners, if you download this, she doesn't even collect your email under the assumption that if she could give value and you're interested in more, you'll get in touch with her. So this is not uh, any type of a ploy, and it's a 72-page survival uh, kit that appears to be chalked with value. So thanks again for your generosity.
2: My pleasure, truly.
0: Please stick around for a few more minutes while Rich and I break down this episode.
1: John, I wrote down an equation and it wasn't the first one she gave the empathy minus accountability equals enabling. And I'm happy to debrief on that. But I wrote down another equation that was retention is when respect and rewards is greater than requirements. Yeah. Turnover is when respect and rewards are less than requirements. And I loved her take on getting back to basics in talking to people and asking them, what are you getting out of this position? Which is essentially identifying what are the uh, things that demonstrate respect? What are the rewards that you're enjoying? Uh, And then the other piece is, what can I do to support you best? Which is really maybe around the requirements. What do we need to do with those requirements to help this equation uh, be the right way for retention?
0: Yeah, absolutely. And I think we could dive into one of those R's, Rich, Uh, you know, the requirements, rewards and respect. And if you take that respect uh, one and you pull it aside for a second and then you look at the formula you talked about, which is empathetic minus accountability equals enabling. I think what what Mary Lou is really talking about here is as entrepreneurs, you know that we're no longer living in a command and control kind of workforce, right? We're living we're in a more human factor area. And so I know a ton of entrepreneurs that walk on eggshells. They don't know what to do because they want, they have to show empathy. They can't really hold anybody accountable. And then they start, then they enable their workforce to kind of do whatever they're doing and, and everything's not working the way it should be. And so what Mary Lou is really talking about is how do you respect your employees by also not enabling them, by also knowing when to be empathetic, when to hold people accountable, which brought me all the way full circle in my mind to the in, in, when she gave the example to situational leadership and how critical the training of entrepreneurs on what situational leadership is and how to display it and, and on a daily basis with your team members because not all humans are the same. And so there's the human factor but within the human factor they don't all want you know cheese pizza for their their first day at work, and they can't all be treated equally. So that respect factor is one that I think we should double-click on uh, again and get a little bit deeper into how can entrepreneurs be more situational, be more servant leaders, as Mary Lou would talk about, right, Uh, to really show their employees a side of respect that's just not one-size-fits-all.
1: And I feel like in that double-click on respect, as you said, would show up that equation. Empathy minus accountability equals enabling. Yeah. And at first, I heard that enabling that's like, oh, it's bad to enable people, but there's positive enabling sure. and then there's negative enabling. And I think that is a, an excellent equation because it can be confusing as a leader where you think somebody has a problem with a particular guideline or uh, they weren't able to meet a particular goal. And you know, you need to bring empathy into the workforce. And you say, oh, well, I understand, and uh, it's okay, and things happen, and those are all the empathy side. But that empathy in the lack of accountability is negative enabling. We need to at least balance the empathy and accountability or have a touch more accountability, but also there has to be empathy. Otherwise, you go bankrupt in that relationship. So Mm -hmm. I think that would show up in your double-click on respect. And to come back around on your uh, situational leadership, I think you nailed it. You know, I love that stuff. And I'd love to have a podcast where we talk about that. Mm -hmm. Um, But on situational leadership, what you nailed, I think, that's so critical is leaders have a default style that they prefer to lead in. Many leaders just say, well, that's how I am. Uh, I'm the head of the company, or I'm the leader, or I'm the person who hired you in a hierarchy. I am superior. You're going to have to get on board with how I work or go ahead and walk. And there's a default style of leadership. But then to acknowledge, there's also a default style of how someone prefers to be led, whether they prefer directing, coaching, supporting, or delegating, there's a default style. But rising above all of those default styles is, what is the task at hand that needs to be handled based on their competence and commitment and delivering the correct style, regardless of your preference, regardless of their preference, delivering the correct blend of support and direction based on their competence and commitment in a particular task? I know that was a lot of words. And for those that aren't versed in situational leadership, you'll want to listen to the podcast that we'll record uh, relatively soon on it. But I think it's critical to acknowledge that not only do we have a default style, but our learners have a default style on how they prefer to be worked with, but we should not yield to either.
0: Yeah. And to me, that's why this human factor is so much more complex than command and control assembly line. Oh, move point A to point B. We 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 are complex beings. Uh, just look at you know the book that I'm sure we read <laughs> 20 years ago as well, right? Men are from Mars, women are from Venus, right? And we're just complex beings. And there's so many different components that come into it. And Rich, I don't care if it's a hockey coach that I see on a weekly basis because my kids are in hockey, or an entrepreneur running their business. It doesn't matter. When when leaders go to their default style to manage everything in their business that's when half the people feel like they're not being respected and, and the entrepreneurs don't understand. They're like, well, I, I, I treat everybody the same. I do this I don't understand why they don't like cheese pizza. Like I, you know, they just don't get it. And we need to understand that our team members are very complex, which comes back to this people bingo. Like that's a scary exercise for me. Yeah. I'm an entrepreneur. Uh, cause sometimes I'm just all business all the time. And you know, to put down a list of all my employees, and rate on a scale of one to ten, or high to low, what's my effective communi- you know, connection with these people, and do I know what they would want for a gift for their birthday, and whatever. That's a scary exercise. My sheet would be fairly empty, but I love the exercise from the perspective of okay, I, I got some homework to do, as Mary Lou said. Let's go figure this out, and, and let's make sure we do connect with our people because productivity will grow, respect will grow, and uh, retention will grow. Everything will go along with it. So very important exercise.
1: Well. And as a reminder in leading situationally, before you change leadership styles, you need to let people know. So you would say, hey, uh, I'm going to be a little bit more directive and here's why. So before people go running out doing this uh, people bingo exercise, I do recommend just having a very uh, upfront conversation about Hey, I think I may have missed some of the human factor in our relationship. I'm going to be starting to do some things a little bit differently. I want you to know you haven't done anything wrong. Uh, There's nothing wrong with me either. I'm just trying to evolve my leadership style. And part of that's going to include getting to know you a little bit better and your preferences and how we can serve you in your role here at work. Um, I'd like to ask you a few questions. I think to let people know you're shifting styles, is critical to not be misinterpreted.
0: Yeah, no question, and that's how you get employees to feel respected, appreciated, fulfilled, and engaged.